0: We'll be reading verses 1 to 10. Acts 3 verses 1 to 10. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. For those of you who don't know, I'm Charlie, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I just love bringing God's word. Uh, I think it is just such a great honour and privilege to be given this role. And uh, I I just love this passage of scripture too. When we think back to uh, Acts chapter 2, which hopefully you've read the whole chapter 2 during the week and things like that, maybe some of chapter 3 before you came this evening... We see that chapter 2 gives this outline of what the true Christian church is. And uh, in its simplest terms, we see the church are a people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And they um, allow themselves to be transformed as a result of that. So in choosing to follow and accept him, they've received the promised gift of Holy Spirit who truly does transform them. And what we see as we move through the rest of the book of Acts is the church in action. We are given insight, real examples and illustrations into what a church of Christ should actually be. And we are told in many ways how to live out our Christian lives before the Lord. Tonight we will look at Peter and John and we'll see how even they were using, used... Sorry as God's chosen instruments and hopefully as we look at what happens with Peter and John here we'll also be able to encourage uh, each other to take similar steps to them and not be concerned about what we lack but rather be empowered and encouraged to give what we have let's pause and pray Father God, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that your word is so engaging. If we invite you to discern that word to us, Lord, and I just pray for us tonight that as we sit and listen to to what you have to say through this word, Lord, that we'll be challenged, we'll be drawn to you. And Lord, it's my desire that you'll use this word to transform someone's life tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we Continue to move through Acts. We need to keep in mind that the church has just been kicked off. It's only a new thing. Holy Spirit has been released on all believers for the first time ever. It has never happened before previously. And this puts us and the church in the end times, the time between uh, when the Messiah came to the earth and the time when Jesus will return. They're the end times. So we're in that bracket that scripture speaks about in the Old Testament. And, And what it should do, it should stir in us a sense of expectation that Christ could return at any time. But on top of that, it should also stir in us a sense of urgency, realizing that time is short. And for those that we want to see in the kingdom, for those that we love, we should should be acting upon that sense of urgency and we should be inviting them and explaining to them all that Christ has done for us and I believe when you look at the early church they actually got that they understood that there was this need and this urgency to speak to others about Jesus and they were expecting him to return at any time and so what happens with um Peter and John is a little bit of that and we see that um, Luke has given us some insight into what the early church was really like. In Acts 2, 42 and 47, we are told that the early church, the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that they shared communion together, that they spent time together, that they prayed together, that they were sharing with those who had need but also that they met every day in the temple, every day. And they were thankful. They praised God for his goodness. And as a result, they saw miracles performed amongst them. They saw him do great and mighty things. And the one we read tonight is one such miracle. It's the first miracle we're told about that occurred in the early church. And there's plenty more that we'll read about in the coming weeks. It's this first miracle, which couldn't be explained, which became the catalyst that brought persecution against the early church, But rather than it suppressing what was happening, it actually allowed the message to be spread much, much further. And so the church continued to grow. And and as I read through this passage, as I pondered what God would have me to say, there's a few things that really stood out for me. And I think the first one was companionship. And. uh, I just love what's happening here with Peter and John. When we speak about companionship, companionship is different to friendship and biblical companionship is different to the companionship that the world offers. Christian companionship comes from a personal commitment first and foremost to Christ but out of that commitment comes a desire to spend time with like-minded people, a desire to be that iron that sharpens iron, to come alongside others and to tell them about God, tell them about the experiences that you've had, share those good news and encourage each other in that faith we encourage strengthen pray for and build each other up we hold each other accountable because we want to see each other moving on with Christ rather than stumbling and we remind each other of our call and commission what Christ would have us to do. And I want you to look at Peter and John here. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour, so three in the afternoon. And and these guys were going up to the temple together. Think about what they were like not so long ago. Peter was this guy who said to Jesus, Jesus, these guys may all fall away. I never will. John was the guy who went with his brother to Jesus and basically demanded that Jesus give him whatever he asked. And Jesus said, well, what is it that you want? And he said, well, allow me and my brother, one of us to sit on your right hand and one of us to sit on your left hand in glory. Both Peter and John had a bit of a pride issue there. They were a little bit self-righteous. They thought themselves a little bit more important than what they really were. And we know those accounts that they were actually put in their place. And if you want to read those, Matthew 26, Mark 10. But what happened as a result, the other disciples became indignant, and I think rightfully so. These guys were human just like us. They had that selfish Uh, self-ambition they had desires which were driven by pride and so many other things but when we get to this that's all changed Peter and John are walking to the temple together they're working together in what they've been called to do with the Lord and when I read this I found myself thinking here's two mates going to the temple these guys hang out together They enjoy each other's company, they pray together, they encourage each other and it's natural for them to be together and to step into the temple together. They get up there at three o'clock and they're there with other Christian believers in the temple at that time, they didn't see any disconnection between Christianity and being in the temple. And, and they would go there and they would pray together. Everything around them in the temple represented the coming Messiah, the promised Messiah, and they knew that to be Jesus. so it was quite okay for them to worship in that place and to pray in that place. And uh, I don't think it was any coincidence that it was wiped out after 70 years, uh, sorry, after 40 years, one generation. Uh, and the temple was gone and of course that's when the separation come between the Jews and the Christians where they went their separate ways but I think this first recorded miraculous healing is an example to us illustrating that a Christian faith is not to be lived on our own it's a Christian faith that is lived with others Peter and John went together and indeed they were together and I think Jesus set all this up he had this idea right from the start when he commissioned and empowered his disciples in Mark 6 7 he sent them out in pairs he made them go in pairs he didn't allow any to go on their own in Acts 13 2 the Holy Spirit caused for Barnabas and Saul to be set aside for the work of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles again it was two men who went together to do that and when we consider Paul when we read all his accounts it's very rare that you read anything where he is actually traveling on his own and in fact he invites people like Timothy and Titus to come along with him like they're, they're these trainees they're these interns who are able to see firsthand how he proclaims the gospel to people how he interacts with people and so they're trained up in the faith And they grow to know how to proclaim the gospel just as Paul did. And they see by Paul's life firsthand experience that you aren't just a follower of Christ. There is an obedience that is required in that. And when you're obedient to Christ, when you're attentive to his voice, the proclamation of the gospel reaps great rewards. And he became a man who was a disciple who made disciples. And that's what we're called to do. And so those who went with him, Timothy and Titus... They became disciples who made disciples. And I think that's the model that we should be following. I think that's what we're called to do. And I think about Peter and John, both also deserted Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's very clear that here and elsewhere in Scripture that something has changed. And now they have a great confidence in Christ. They have a great confidence in who he is. And so this isn't a confidence like the world offers. This isn't about believing in their self, their own abilities, their own gifts, their own talents. This is about a confidence in Jesus. They are confident that he has called them. They are confident that that call continues. They're confident that he is directing their path. They're confident that he will empower and equip them for every good work that he calls them to do. And I want you to think about it. How would you respond in this situation? You're, you're walking up to the temple and this lame man is there. And he calls and he asks you for alms. I think there's a lot going on that we can't know for sure. But when I read about this man, I, I think it emphasizes that God has a time and a place for everything. Everything. It's always in his perfect timing and we don't always understand why God does or doesn't do something but we have to accept that God knows best regardless of the situation and this guy in my opinion is a case in point. We know from Acts 4.22 that this guy was in his 40s We are told that he was daily laid at the gate of the temple and he has been for many years. And this is at the beautiful gate. This guy has been laid there for many years. Jesus would have entered through this gate when Jesus walked the earth. He would have seen this guy. This guy would have seen Jesus. And Jesus didn't heal him. I wonder why. Jesus healed many people around the temple, in the temple, but this guy wasn't one of them. And this guy, I would imagine, had very poor self-esteem. And I think when we think about these crippled people, we don't really think about how bad it was. His worldview was this much, his entire life. He never got to sit upright, he never got to stand upright and so he would have very low self esteem, I'd imagine. He would have very poor quality of life. He was reliant on others to provide for him. He even had to have people who knew and loved him. Praise God, he had people who knew and loved him who would carry him to the temple every day and lay him there. But here he is, laying at the temple. Same temple where he saw Jesus heal others. Not him. And Peter and John come along and. Seeing Peter and John, he he appeals to them for alms. He asks if he can receive alms. And the habit was to actually have your head down to humble yourself before anyone who was likely to give you anything. But I wonder what we we think about when we think about alms. Um, So often we think about this being a monetary thing. We think about this being a contribution, especially to the poor or to beggars. But to give alms is to perform an act of mercy or kindness. And it's an act which is motivated by love. The greatest gift that Peter and John had received was that of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And Peter and John is clearly evident in their lives that they value that above everything else in life. There is nothing else that even comes close to knowing Jesus Christ. And they approach this man. And the beggar appears to have no other thought than the material gift that he may receive when Peter calls to him. And Peter says, look at me. And the man does so expecting to receive a gift from them now we're not told what's going on with Peter and John here we're not told about the promptings that they received uh, when they decided to speak to this man but obviously something had happened and they were confident that they were supposed to interact with this man and that God was speaking in with them in order to do so And he wants them to do something with this man. Their actions prove that they see themselves as God's chosen instruments being used by him. They're simply being obedient, doing what God prompts them to do. And Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. I wonder what the man thought as he was hearing that. Am I being conned? Like, I need something. And then Peter goes on to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. This man is looking in expectation of Peter and John. He, he expects to receive something. And Peter says, what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you, get up and walk. Peter and John are, Part of the church, the same universal church that we are a part of. And if we're willing to accept what is clear here, Peter declares that the church's greatest wealth is not in silver or gold or buildings or numbers of people or ministries or programs or anything like that. Our true power is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Nothing else. Everything else can fall away. If we've still got Jesus Christ, we are complete. Christ and Christ alone when we have the same confidence in him the same dependence on him that Peter and John and the early church did we will see him do great and mighty things Peter was bankrupt by the world's standards he had nothing material to offer this man but he was incredibly rich spiritually he knew and trusted and obeyed Jesus Think about what happens here. Peter tells this man who had never put weight on his legs to rise up and walk. You imagine, Callie's a physio. You imagine going to Callie and saying, hey, you know that patient you were telling me about, the one that's never walked in his life? He's that guy jumping down the hall. And Callie's like, yeah, whatever. You know, this is impossible. This just cannot happen. This guy has never walked in his life. It doesn't matter if he had the best physio in the world, massaging his legs and everything like that. He doesn't know how to walk. And yet, he does. His feet and his ankles are made strong in seconds, he is given the knowledge to walk in seconds. And his first response is to walk and leap and praise God. And Pastor Darrell this morning likened this to a little child, and we've all seen it, you know, they start toddling and they have a few falls and things like that. But when they get more and more confident, suddenly they're doing this and you know they get about this far off the ground and they think they're so good don't they and we applaud them because they are so good this guy was doing the same thing he's testing these legs out he's never done it before and he's excited this is a great thing and he just cannot prevent himself from praising the God who did it what happened is impossible but there's power in Jesus name there's nothing impossible impossible for him and just like Peter and John we need to believe that so we can have confidence to do everything that he calls us to that's the key having faith and confidence in Jesus and continuing to declare that any and every time or any and everything that we do is not in our own strength and ability it's in his strength and ability and Peter says this He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Why do you look at us as if we did this? And so Peter knows that he needs to constantly deflect the glory back to God. We know that Peter and John once carried this level of pride and self-righteousness that I mentioned and perhaps because of that they're very careful about not taking any of the glory from Jesus and he's very careful not to allow people to think of them more highly than they should be thought of they know the good in them the miracles that are performed through them the very motivation for them in fulfilling the call that Jesus has placed upon their life is powered by Jesus it's got nothing to do with them and their will it is all to do with God They declare to those who have gathered and marvelling at what has happened to this man that they had little to do with what happened. It was all in the name of Jesus. It was Jesus and faith in Jesus and his name that made this man strong. Peter and John were the link between Jesus, his healing power and this needy man. And Peter wants everyone to understand who really performed this miracle When he addresses the man in uh, verse 6, he specifically says what he is doing is done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's telling those gathered clearly. He doesn't want any misunderstanding. What he says makes it clear that Peter is talking about the Jesus that they've all heard about, the Jesus who was recently crucified, the Jesus that they well know. And he again tells them, They're responsible for his death and they need to repent. I wonder, and I have wondered many times, why people get so hung up on the concept of repentance. I have people come to me after I speak about repentance and sin and say, you shouldn't talk about that, you should talk about grace. so many seem to be opposed to the concept or idea that we should repent. They see it as a one-off thing. But guys, there's real power in repentance. We are told in Luke 15:7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When we repent... There is this great joy in heaven because they know we're restoring relationship with God. They know we're being put back into that right relationship with him. And there's a great joy in heaven as a result. Does that make it worth repenting? I think it does. I think this is something that we should be encouraged to do. And I tell you what, if if there's great joy in heaven as a result, if the heavenly host are overjoyed because of it, they will praise and worship God as a result. Bringing glory to God has to be worth it. And so in repentance, as people humble themselves, it opens their eyes to the incredible grace, love and forgiveness that can be found in Christ Jesus. Why wouldn't we repent? Why wouldn't we talk about it? I can tell you one reason. Because Satan and his hordes doesn't want you to. Satan wants to prevent everything being celebrated in heaven. Satan wants to take away as much of that as he can. He does want God glorified. If he could, he'd drag God down from heaven. But we know that he can't. I want you to think about that the next time someone remembers repentance. Remember the joy, the celebration that occurs in heaven as we repent. General Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. And in the late 1800s, he first said, The chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Are we there yet? Are we closer to where General Booth fears us to be? Or are we closer to the Church of Acts? A church which is given as an example to us. Are we closer to Peter and John who are good mates who appear to be prayer partners? and who are committed to meeting with each other, and committed to meeting with a wider circle of believers each and every day in the temple. The confidence and expectation that disciples in the early church had that Jesus would work miraculously through through them was as a result of them committing themselves to all that Jesus said and taught, being obedient and applying what they learnt, sharing communion together, spending time together, praying together, sharing with those who had need, but also meeting daily for prayer, worshipping and honouring God, being thankful, praising God for his goodness. Do you have the same confidence in Christ the disciples had, as illustrated by Peter and John? If Holy Spirit prompted you as he prompted Peter and John to pray for this paralyzed man, a man paralyzed from birth, would you do it? If he told you to pray for him, that he would get up and walk, would you do it? And would you have the confidence that he would actually get up and walk? If that's you, praise God, that is so awesome. And I trust that you have this incredible confidence and obey God and do all that he calls you to do and great and mighty things happen as a result. But if you aren't, are you willing to commit to follow Jesus as the disciples in the early church did? Pastor Darrell said something this morning which I don't know if he was quoting somewhere else or they were his own words, I didn't actually ask, but it really resonated with me. We are God's chosen instruments fit for purpose, ready for use, and devoted to service. I think we can safely say that Peter and John were all of these things. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, we become God's chosen instruments to proclaim the message of salvation to the lost. Same commission that Peter and John were given. But to be fit, to be ready and devoted, we need to be people who are different to the rest of the world. We should value gathering together with our Christian brothers and sisters more than gathering with those of the world. We'll be a people who pray individually, who have prayer partners, and who gather as a people to pray. We'll encourage each other in the reading and application of the word. We'll want to meet regularly with a wider church, praying and seeking God's purpose for us as a people of God. We will physically gather to share good news stories, thank God, worship God, and so many other things. And this will prepare us for everything we need to do for him. It will encourage us in the faith. Will we be devoted to service? I so desire to see a growing joy in us at SDBC. I love sitting and talking about those who come to faith. I love sitting and talking to people about the light bulb moments that you see in those that you teach about Jesus. And I want everyone else to experience that and I want us to understand the incredible gift that we have it is the greatest gift anyone could possibly have think of the merchant mentioned in scripture who sold everything he had in order to purchase the pearl of great worth think of the guy who was digging in the field and he found a treasure he went and he sold everything he owned in order to buy that field so that he could possess that great treasure they're the examples and illustrations that we're given about the great value of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and saviour and when we fully understand that that joy should overflow from us to others we should not be able to help ourselves talking about Jesus to people think about this beggar crippled from birth Peter and John had the answer to his greatest needs it was Jesus Christ and his incredible saving message to the world we have the same message and we are to constantly shift our thinking from all we can have in the world to having a growing confidence in Jesus Christ and his supernatural power. We are called to proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And I believe the greatest miracle is seeing the dead living, seeing those move from darkness to light, seeing people come to faith. There is nothing greater. And if you haven't experienced that, oh, I pray you will. I pray you'll be sitting with someone when they give their life to Christ. And I pray that you've been instrumental in bringing them to that point. Our power doesn't lie in the physical, but in the spiritual. We are to believe God can and will do miracles. I, I've seen God do miracles, not so many lately, but I've seen him do great and marvelous things. Don't hear me saying we get to demand what God does. That's not the way it works. He prompts us and we become His willing instruments in His hands. But He can do great and mighty things. We should be willing to believe that He does. And when prompted, when we're so devoted to Him and serving Him, we should just do what He calls us to do, whatever that is, regardless of how unrealistic it seems to be. Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And God interrupted their plans and laid on their heart something much bigger. This beggar. And the beggar's life was changed forever. Do you pray for divine appointments? Do you believe God gives them to us? And when he does give them to you, when he prompts you, do you step into those appointments? Because when we do, you're going to mess up sometimes. And that's actually okay as long as we learn from it and as we learn and grow in faith we'll see more and more incredible things happen we'll see greater and greater miracles let me pray father god i thank you again for the power of your word i thank you for this account of peter and john thank you so much lord that they did faithfully obey you and this beggar's life was changed as a result Father, my desire is that each and every one of us will have that same confidence in you, a growing confidence, Lord, and that as we grow in confidence, Lord, you will just bring things into our lives, those tests of our faith, Lord, that will stretch us and draw us closer to you and creating us a stronger belief, more confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit and all that they can do. If only we will let them do it through us. Allow us to be those obedient servants, I pray, Lord. Allow us to submit ourselves fully to you. And Lord, I pray that you'll bring greater and greater unity to us here at SDBC, so we can be a people who are seen and recognized as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's been waiting with bated breath? One of us. Praise God, brother. These are for Alpha. So... Up the back on the table, is a number of marker pens. You can take this home with you, or you can put a name on there. We just want a person's first name, because all these people are gonna come into the church, and we don't want them going, oh, Harry Holt. What's my name doing up there? But if see sees Harry, there could be 10 Harrys up there, who knows? So we just want you to write, people's name on here, and there's some really good sticky dots. Don't rely on these, I know that they're post-it notes, but don't rely on them, they're useless, and uh, we don't want to be sweeping up leaves all day. So there's some sticky notes up there, stick one on the back, stick it to the white tree on the wall, and we're hoping to cover that wall with all the people that um, are gonna come along to Alpha. They're the people you're gonna invite. And there's gonna be people who come in and just stand in front of that wall and pray for those people, pray for your friends, pray that you have the confidence to invite them uh, when Alpha rolls around. So please do that. Uh, There's also a whiteboard out the front there. We need some volunteers for Alpha. Uh, And that's one of the places you can see those light bulbs go on. Uh, I've had the privilege of running Alpha courses, hosting them and uh, it is just so awesome to see people come to faith and people do through Alpha. It's absolutely amazing. Guys uh, I have the questions here. Uh, I'd encourage you to come grab some and uh, to sit and talk and uh, use these questions as a guide. You don't need to answer them all but uh, just talk about our faith and walk with Jesus and encourage each other to walk ever closer. Let me close. This week, guys, again, I just ask God will be with you. He will bless you. He will reveal himself to you, that you will hear his voice, that you'll respond to that, you'll interact with him, that he'll prompt you to do great and mighty things, and that you'll submit fully to him and know the incredible blessing of following him each and every day. God bless one and all. Have a great week. I'm up the front to pray. If you'd like prayer, please feel free to come and ask.